Calvary Chapel South Bay Sermon Podcast. We are a large, multi-ethnic, multi-generational church in Los Angeles, California, and we'd love to have you visit us for a service if you're in the LA area. Visit ccsouthbay.org to learn more about us and to find out service times. If you have any questions, shoot us an email at hello at ccsouthbay.org. Enjoy today's sermon, and we hope to see you at church soon. Amen and amen and amen. So good to have you join us. I pray wherever you are right now, whether you're live stream, whether you're watching on Facebook, whether you're uh, viewing this later on our YouTube channel, or whether you're just uh, searching around the internet trying to see if you can find someone who's teaching through the book of Hosea, welcome to our Sunday evening service here at Calvary Chapel South Bay as we continue through the book of Hosea. If you turn your Bibles to Hosea chapter 3, I want to give you a little bit of a heads up here with this particular book because a lot of times we can go too far with applying this to the church. Um, This entire book is really written to national Israel, but it has definite application in our lives And no greater application does it have than when we get here to chapter 3, to this incredible picture of God's love. And this is a beautiful companion passage to what we studied this morning as we were journeying through Luke chapter 7, there in verses 36 to 50, as we looked at this super sinful woman and this incredibly scornful Pharisee, and how they both had the same need, and that was the grace of God. And so as we turn our attention now here to chapter 3, which, by the way, is only five verses, so we'll cover the entire chapter tonight. I pray that you are ministered to, and I pray that you're gaining in patience as we look forward to the word tomorrow from our governor as to when we can begin to think about having services, and we'll keep you posted. So as Pastor Alex said, please do. Go either online to our website or more importantly, just simply log uh, into ccsouthbay.org forward slash connect and make sure you're signed up for email and text, preferably email because we will be sending some uh, lengthy guidelines as we get them, things that you can expect when we come back to church. And so we'd love to have your email to do that, keep you posted. Uh, But before we turn our attention to verse one here of Hosea three, would you join me and let's pray and ask God to speak through his word. Father, we again just deposit ourselves uh, at your feet. We want your spirit, Holy Spirit, come and speak to your people, encourage us through your word. Uh, Show us how great your love is, Lord, for us. Many of us are feeling uh, distant and afar off. Uh, Lord, we, many of us have wondered, you know, what you're doing during this time But the truth is that you love us as your children. You always have and always will. And pray that you would bless us now with understanding and fill us uh, to overflowing with your spirit so that we might receive from heaven uh, your word as you burn it into our hearts. Teach us tonight, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Verse 1 through 5 here in Hosea 3, which is the entirety of of the chapter. And then the Lord said to me, so God speaking in Revelation to the prophet Hosea, this prophet who is prophesying uh, to the children of Israel, specifically to the northern kingdom. Uh, and as that word gets to the southern kingdom, Judah, uh, the Lord said to me, Go again and love a woman who is loved by a lover and is committing adultery. And you're probably going, 
did I just read that right? Did, did I just read what I think I wrote that God told Hosea to go love a woman who is in the midst of an adulterous relationship with another man? And the answer is, he sure did. You sure did. You heard it correctly. And before you turn away and cringe and think too hard on the physical story that's here, remember who God's speaking to, and he's going to tell us in just a moment, because this is how we can understand the love of the Lord towards all of us, but very specifically towards Israel. Because you were going the wrong direction when God found you. When you gave your life to Christ, Uh, You were engaged in all manner of things. You were going the wrong way when he was calling you to go the right way. Uh, And so before we judge this situation too harshly or too strongly, we should recognize that this is a picture of the love of the Lord. This is exactly how God works in our lives as individuals. And it will one day how all Israel will come to know the Lord and finally see what they're doing is being wrong and turn and return to the Lord. And so there's a beautiful picture tonight of repentance and and revival in the hearts of man. And there's a picture of how God restores and and brings us back to him is contained in these five verses. Love a woman who is loved by a lover and is committing adultery. And now he tells us who this applies to, just like the love of the Lord for the children of Israel. And so now you can see it in its context. The children of Israel had a history of knowing what God wanted, understanding who God was, being very cognizant of the Lord's demands on their lives and how he wanted them to live, um, doing that for a while, and then turning away unto other loves, other lovers, to false prophets, to all manner of behaviors that were not befitting the children of God. And in that sense, the children of Israel uh, was being unfaithful to the Lord. And so in a very dramatic way, in a 4K HD way, uh, you can kind of look at this story and go, man, God is really giving us a picture of how great his love is, that he would keep going after someone who's so messed up as Gomer, who took to other gods and looked to other gods and loved the raisin cakes of the pagans. He's saying, look, you'll go some other direction at the, at the inference of there might be some nice tasty food on the other side of the hill, that the grass would be greener in the other pasture, that as long as somebody offers you something that tantalizes your taste buds, you're going to be okay. And I think this is so important for us today to remember there are going to be temptations in this world to turn from the Lord and to turn towards the world. And God is saying, don't let those things fool you. Don't follow after the things of the world. And now I want you to notice how God responds to this absolute, outright, sinful behavior that should never have happened, that is absolutely wrong. And the reason I'm emphasizing this point is I don't want anybody to think that God approves of or that I'm telling you it's okay to go out and commit adultery or any other sin for that matter. And we'll look at that in detail here in a little bit. But notice what he says, so I bought her for myself for 15 shekels of silver and one and a half homers of barley. In other words, he's saying, I'm going to buy her back. I'm going to redeem her would be another word. I'm going to pay the price 
to bring her back into my house and to love her once again, even though she's completely unfaithful to me. And I said to her, here's what I want from you, in other words. I said to you, here's the requirements. You shall stay with me many days, and you shall not play the harlot, nor shall you have a man, and so too I will be towards you. And this is the way God moves in our lives. There are those that believe somehow you can have a relationship with the Lord without repenting of your sin. And that is simply false. God is asking and showing national Israel, the children of Israel, and he's speaking to us as well at the same time, saying, here's what I require of you. I require that you be faithful. I require that you turn from your sin. I require that you stop doing what you were doing. We would call this repentance. Making a 180, turning away from sin and towards the Lord. The Bible never at any point in time, anywhere in its entirety, says that you can just keep on doing your own thing and also be a child of God. The Bible clearly and repeatedly reminds us that the child of God will forsake sin and turn towards the Lord. Now, having said that, you're not saved by turning from sin. You're saved by grace that comes to you by faith in Jesus Christ alone. But the result of that saving faith is that you have a disdain for sin, that you hate what God hates and you love what God loves. And you do what God asks you to do. That's why Jesus said, you are my disciples indeed if you keep my commandments. In other words, it's not saying you're saved by keeping those commands, but if you are, you will, you shall. It's part of who you are. And so in essence... Hosea is asking Gomer to do the very minimal work of simply, please don't go after other men again. Turn from your sin. I'm going to do that. I'm going to be faithful to you. Notice the reciprocal nature of this. God is faithful to us even when we are unfaithful. But he says, look, my faithfulness, which comes to you as a free gift, I want you to be faithful to me in return. Turn from your sin. For the children of Israel, again, notice who this is spoken to. This is not spoken directly to the church. It can be applied to the church loosely and in a way of an analogy, metaphorically speaking, if you will. For the children of Israel shall abide many days without a king or a prince, without sacrifice or sacred pillar, without an ephod or a teraphim. And afterwards, the children of Israel shall return and seek the Lord their God and David their king, and they shall fear the Lord and his goodness in the, and then he gives us the time when this is going to be finally, completely fulfilled, the latter days or the last days. And so this is really a prophetic window of how Israel has followed after false gods throughout her history, remains today distant from Yahweh, from the Lord. And in the last days, how they will finally see their mistake and turn back towards the Lord. But it is also a picture for us of our own lives. It's the picture of your life and my life. And I ask you this question, how far off base were you How far away from the Lord were you 
how displeasing were the things that you were doing? How, how displeasing were you when you met Jesus? You see, sometimes we hold the standard for other people that we ourselves not only did not keep, but would have failed at if that same standard were pressed upon us. And so I believe God is speaking to us through these five verses, a couple of things. And probably some of you in the crowd who we might call legalists, people who say, well, you know, you have to do this to be saved. You have to act like this to see the grace of God. You might want to be really careful. Because while it is true, we need to repent of our sin, it is also true that nowhere in the Bible do we find that the child of God is ever completely sinless while we're still in these mortal bodies on this earth. Now, that should be our goal. It should be our aim. It should be our practice. It should be what we seek after with all of our hearts. But the fact of the matter is, That's not what we find in practice. And the book of Romans tells us that picture from chapter 6 to chapter 8. In the Apostle Paul's life, a man whom we would say if there was anyone who had the opportunity to live a life that's pretty close to what God wants, it would have been the Apostle Paul. And so be careful about judging others in that sense. How far off base were you? You see, this woman has married home, has married. Hosea, and then gone right back to doing what she was doing before, went right back to the world, dove face first right into a relationship with a guy that valued her so little that he wouldn't even pay the price of a full slave. You see, the price of a full slave, a valuable slave, was 30 shekels. He says, well, you're worth 15, half price. In other words, Gomer was half off. She, she was so far gone that she was not even worth what a normal person who wasn't worth much was worth. She was very far gone. And yet, Hosea, in a picture of God's love, says, I'll take you. I want you. And I will be faithful to you. That's a picture of God's love. God says, I will take you. I want you. I will be faithful to you. Don't miss the message to the church, even though this passage has its primary application to the nation Israel. Be careful about being judgmental. And Jesus there in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 7, in the first two verses, reminds us of this truth. He says, judge not, lest you be judged. For with what judgment you judge, you will be judged. For what measure you use, it will be measured back to you. As you would go on in in the next several verses, why do you look at the little piece of dirt in your own eye, the speck in your own eye, but don't, or in your brother's eye, but don't consider the plank that's in your own? You see, you can't see well enough to remove stuff out of other people's eyes when you've got something stuck in your own. And so Jesus said, look, you might want to look at the plank, the board, the log, the beam, that's in your own eye, and then maybe you'll be able to see clear enough to do something about somebody else's sin. And the word applies here is, look, let's be honest. Gomer was a mess. She was off on some other planet of sin, major sin. She'd gone so far as to sell herself to another man. She needed to repent. And most assuredly, exactly as Galatians 6 says, She was reaping what she had sown. 
And God wasn't mocked. There was a price to be paid. But God, pictured in Hosea's gracious way he deals with this wife that has gone wayward, says, look, I still love you. I will still be faithful to you. I don't care where you've been. Can I tell you that God is not so much concerned about where you've been, but he's concerned about where you will go. He wants to spend eternity with you. But that can't happen unless you repent of your sin and are saved. And so he tells Gomer exactly what we need to do. Gomer was kind of stuck in this picture of the world's love, the world's brand of love, if you will. And I think this is a painful reminder of exactly the way our world works right now. We, we live in a day and time that is basically this insane hookup culture. It's like relationships don't matter. Truth doesn't matter. Faithfulness doesn't matter. And when you think on that, in that sense, Gomer was kind of ahead of her time. She was living the way a lot of people live today. It's like, eh, I don't really need marriage. I'm going to just have an open relationship. If that's you, God loves you, and he's speaking to you for you to come back to him or maybe to meet him for the first time. He loves you with the right kind of love, not the world's kind of love that's very, very capable and desirous to use you for what it can get and then throw you away toss you to the side of the road. The world doesn't care. That boyfriend or girlfriend that's involved with you right now, that you think is a good thing for the moment, but you're really not all in, is a picture of exactly what God is saying here. If you want real love, you have to have the content of real love, and that is commitment that is turning from evil, that is repentance, that is you doing the right thing for the right reason. Notice what this man who had purchased her basically as some kind of slave is in effect saying, look, I'm done with you. Take a hike. I'll take 50% off on you. That's how the world works. That's what the world will say when it's done using you. But that is not what Jesus will do to you. Jesus will take you back and love you with an undying love, no matter where you've been. This man didn't care about her one iota. That's why in Exodus 21, when it says, this is what you shall pay if you're going to, Bring somebody into your home as a, as a servant. That's, that's why he's saying, look, for 50% off, you can have her. She's not worth anything to me. You can have some animal food. That's what barley was. People generally didn't eat barley. It's so hard, it can be turned into nothing. You could soak it in water for days, and it, and it will not become anything other than a hard seed. 
but then steps God into the picture. Then steps the love of God into the picture of this woman's life. Pictured again in how Hosea treats her. Kind of interchange, if you will, what Hosea is doing with how God treats us. And what you see here is this incredible buyback program. We in the New Testament call it redemption. It was visible in the Old Testament times in the way that the Lord took care of national Israel as they they kept going after false gods. God says to you and God says to me, I'll take you. I'll pay the price. I'll buy you back. I want you. In other words, how does God respond to someone who's caught in a life of sin? What does he do? How does he react to us? And I want to share with you a a passage, and it's found in Romans 6. You can turn there. But I also want to give you a stark reality. And here's this truth. The Bible never at any point in time says that you can continue in sin. You can't just live your life your way. Repentance is a requirement for God's kids. That repentance needs to be genuine. It needs to be true. It needs to be all-encompassing in your life. But you're not saved by not doing something. You're saved by grace and through faith. And so the Apostle Paul, speaking in Romans 6 and in verse 1, says, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? He answers his own question in verse 2. Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live in it any longer? Verse 8. If we died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. Now notice verse 11 through 14. And likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed, completely dead, mortified, bumped off, if you will, indeed dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And therefore, verse 12, do not let sin reign in your mortal body that you should obey it in its lusts. And do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God. In other words, be faithful to God as being alive from the dead. And your members as instruments of righteousness to God. Verse 14, for sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. And I would encourage you to read all of chapter 6, and really just follow it up with 7 and 8. You see, God wants to buy us back. He's willing to pay the price for our sin. He did so at Calvary's cross through the blood of Jesus Christ. That's the buyback program. And and why am I using that particular wording? Why am I saying it that way? Connie and I just went through a a thing with our beloved Subarus. We've owned a bunch of them. I think we're on our sixth one now. And we love the cars. But we finally, after all of our Subarus, got a lemon. By definition, 
state of California law, we got a lemon. Now, we bought that car from Subaru Motors of America, effectively. We bought it through a dealer. Our dealer was great. They treated us very well, but we got a bad car. Went in multiple times to have the front end was taken out and replaced twice. They couldn't fix it. And so what they did is they had someone call us and said, hey, we've got a buyback program. We want to buy your car back for its full price and give you a brand spanking new one, less some mileage fees and a few other things. Now, why is this important? They didn't have to. They could have fought us in court. They could have said, ah, we don't believe it's that big of a deal. You're just being snippy. But they bought the car back and they paid us full price for it. And we ended up getting a brand spanking new one for next to nothing. Why? Because they wanted to keep the relationship with us so that we would continue to love their product. And in a very similar way, God looks at the things that we do and says, ah, that's not working out really well. How's that sin-filled life working for you? I have another plan. Your life is not supposed to operate like that. It's broken. I'm willing to take what you have that is broken and purchase it back myself at cost to me You see, Subaru forfeited a whole bunch of money and gave us a brand new car. And God wants to purchase you back at the cost of the blood of his own son and give you a brand new life in Christ Jesus. And that's exactly what Hosea is saying, he says, look, all you got to do is turn around. All we had to do was take the old car, drive it to the dealer. They took it and gave us a brand new car. We signed a few pieces of paper. But in the same way, God is saying, look, turn over your old life. Give up your old life. Don't drive that thing that's dangerous anymore. I was deathly afraid that Connie would be driving down the freeway and the front end would fall out of that car and she'd get in an accident, hurt herself or, or someone else. Every time she got in it, she'd drive home from the truck. I'm like, you know, I'd almost like, you know, are you home? And in the same way, God is looking after you. He's speaking into your life and he's saying, look, turn in your junker. Get rid of the thing that might kill you. Turn over your life to me repent and receive my grace and receive my mercy. Let me redeem it. Let me take it over. Because real grace brings about real change in your life. If you've really been saved, then you're really going to be driving a new vehicle. There's going to be a whole new you. You see, in totality, these verses remind us of exactly how much the Lord loves us. God loves us with an everlasting, undying love. 
He also loves the children of Israel. And the children of Israel have not responded to that love. In essence, Israel had repeatedly left God's care, repeatedly chosen to drive uh, a car that was going to leave them stranded somewhere. They drove the car of following after Baal. They drove the car of following after Molech. They drove the car of turning to Assyria and Babylon. They drove the car that was a junker that was Ashtaroth. They followed after all kinds of false product advertisement. They went everywhere but where they should go. But God still loves national Israel. He loves the Jewish people. They still are the apple of his eye. And he still doesn't have a plan for their eternity. But when you look at the history of, of Israel, when Jesus is being tried, they're in John chapter 19. They said, we have no king but Caesar. They didn't want the buyback program. They didn't want redemption. They didn't want that kind of king. But one day they're going to turn towards the Lord. And the price that was paid for Gomer is just like the price that will be one day paid for Israel. And it's the same price that was paid for you and me. It is exorbitant. It's a complete purchase of your wrecked life, of their wrecked life. My wrecked life. You, you may have cheapened yourself. I know in my early days I cheapened myself. I established a price that I was willing to turn from the Lord for. And so did you. And so has Israel. Think of what they've been through. They were displaced from their own land for almost 2,000 years. And even in the previous 1,500 years, they were kicked out of their own land over and over and over again. They're finally back into their land. And you would think that as a people, they would simply pick up the Old Testament and read what the prophet Zechariah said would happen to them in the last days. And they'd be running around going, man, tell me about this Messiah guy. But that hasn't happened yet. You see, the price that was paid, the redemption price, the buyback program, was sufficient for both the Jew and the Gentile. It's sufficient for those of every type and flavor. Look, it, 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 is, it is for the Jew first, but then it was for the Gentile. But there's not a Savior that's different for each one. The same Savior can save any. All who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. It's for Jew and it's for Gentile. It's for everyone. Exactly as Romans 10, 17 declares. We need to remember that, that God purchased us at a tremendous cost, the blood of his own son, exactly as 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19 says. The price has already been paid. The buyback program is visible to anyone who wants it. If you want to get rid of your old life and get a new life, you can. All you have to do is say yes and do the swap, do the trade-in. Say, here's my old car. Give me a new one. 
Let your mind be renewed. Let, let your life be new. And during this time that we've been suffering through this separation during this pandemic, man, if your walk with the Lord was good, you found ways to, to say, you know what, this is going to be okay. But if your walk with the Lord was shallow, you're probably wondering, man, was the price paid in full or did I get some kind of partial deal here? The price was paid in full. Now, that's why Peter says, knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver and gold from your aimless conduct. You want to see aimless conduct. Her name was Gomer. She was like doing whatever. Received by the tradition, by tradition from your fathers, as Peter would say. But you were redeemed with the precious blood of Christ as a lamb without blemish and without spot. And so God says to us, even tonight, even today, in our day and time, look, just let me have your own old car. Trade it in. Drive the new model. The model that's filled with the Spirit of the Lord, the model that is redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, the model that has all the spiritual bells and whistles, the model that screams, man, I'm a child of the king. It's got Jesus on the front bumper. It's got Jesus on the rear bumper. He's the beginning. He's the end. It looks like Hosea didn't initially believe that his wife had actually turned from his sin. And he's like, you know, man, we need to just chill for a little bit. I want to see where you're at. And there's a time when God puts you kind of in that place. He says, look, you know, you, you need to be real with me here. And just like Israel today, they've already been purchased by Messiah. And to some degree, exactly as John 11 paints, they're still kind of messing around with other lovers. Verse 47 there in John chapter 11. And then when the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered a council and said, what shall we do? This man works many signs, speaking of Jesus. If we let him alone like this, everyone will believe him. The Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. And then one of them, Caiaphas, the high priest that year said to them, you know nothing at all. Nor do you consider that it's expedient for us that one man should die for the people and not that the whole nation should perish. Now this he did not say in his own authority, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation. Even Caiaphas understood as he's seeking to put Jesus to death. He's basically saying he's the Messiah, but we don't want him. No, I think I'm going to switch models. I'm going to go with Earthmobile. I'm going to drive something that's really suitable for this earth. Look, church. When Isaiah 53 says, he, Jesus, was taken for prison and judgment, will declare to his generation, he was cut off from the land of living for the transgressions of my people. He was stricken. He's saying, look, for Israel and for you and me, because we believe in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, Jesus has made the buyback program a reality for you. Israel still hasn't returned to the Lord. She still has no king. She still has no prince. No reigning dynasty, if you will, in Israel. They have nowhere to sacrifice. There isn't even a temple on the Temple Mount. 
They don't have an image of the Lord. They used to have this incredible, elaborate temple that when you walked up to the front steps, those seven steps that led into the temple, and they would look at the showbread, a representation of all 12 tribes being brought in, and then they would look at the incense altar where their prayers were offered up and they went up into the air, into the ether, and they were received by God. And then they would look at this giant menorah where the light of the world would shine upon them. And then here's this curtain that separated them from the holiness of God because he was so holy, he stayed behind the curtain. But the high priest would offer up a sacrifice for his own family, for himself, and then go in and offer up prayers for the nation Israel. They had a beautiful understanding and a beautiful picture of what God wanted to do that he wanted to redeem them, but they don't even have a temple anymore. And yet Jesus still loves them. He's crying out to national Israel. And interesting, from when the time the Lord said, look, I want you to build a tabernacle in the wilderness, this mobile temple, if you will, this tent of meeting, The high priest, interestingly enough, wore this very elaborate garment called an ephod. And every piece of it meant something to the Jewish people. And it began with on his headband, it said, holiness unto the Lord. What is Gomer actually asking, uh, being asked to do here? Would you just be holy unto the Lord? Would you stop messing around? And then directly below that on the chest of the high priest were 12 stones, each one representing the children of Israel. And and so as you look at this passage, they had given up everything to follow after the world. They don't have a priest, they don't have a temple, they don't have an ephod, they weren't cared for, there were no bells, there were no pomegranates, there was no beautiful purple, blue robe, there was no white for righteousness, there was no belt of truth, there was nothing. And yet Jesus still loved them. They gave all that up. Yet Jesus still loves them. And what this paints to us to close this out tonight is there's a final chapter to come. God's not done. God's not done with you. God's not done with me. He's not done with the church. And he surely isn't done with national Israel. He's not done with the Jewish people. He still has a plan for them and to save them and to redeem them. But they're not going to be without as they are now indefinitely. One day they're going to see Messiah. And there in Zechariah 12, it says this in verse 9. But it shall be in that day. Again, circle that phrase wherever you see it in your Bible. It refers to the very last days. The time that is preceded by the rapture, the tribulation, the battle of Armageddon, the millennial reign of Christ. That time when God is dealing finally with mankind on this earth for their sin and he pours out a time of wrath and then he finally reaches uh, the nation Israel as a whole. I will seek to destroy all the nations that come against who? Come against Mount Zion, Jerusalem, the home of the Jewish people. And I will pour out on the house of David. Who is that? Those who are ruled over by the dynasty Uh, Of David the king, interestingly enough, Jesus related to David. Born in Bethlehem of Judea. 
on the inhabitants of Jerusalem, primarily the Jewish people. The spirit of grace, what will he pour out? The spirit of grace. How do you receive grace? By faith. What happens? Your sins are forgiven. The buyback program is initiated. The price is paid. And supplication, that finally the Lord will be unto them as he is to us. Right now he sits making intercession for the saints. Right now you're being prayed for by Jesus himself in heaven during this time of pandemic. Imagine that. That the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, the great I am, is sitting in heaven making intercession for you. Supplicating to Father God. Say, look, that's my, those are my, that's my bride. And then they, who's they? The Jewish people will look on me whom they pierced. You see, Jesus got pierced because the Jewish people wouldn't set him free to be Messiah. Now, it was because of me as well. But in reality, all they had to do was say, no, we don't want Barabbas, we'll take Jesus. But they didn't. Yes, they will mourn him as one who mourns for his only son and grieve him as one grieves for his firstborn. When's this going to happen? Tells you. In that day, the last days, the latter days, the days that Jesus spoke of. Jesus said there in Matthew 19, Assuredly, I say to you that in the resurrection, when the Son of Man sits on the throne of his glory, you will have followed me and sit also on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. There's going to come a time when Israel's going to get it. They're going to finally repent and return to the Lord. Exactly what is being asked of Gomer. That's all she's being asked to do. Repent and return and God will receive. As we journey through the remainder of this book, you're going to see that's the message. Right now, God does his wonderful acts of salvation one at a time. To as many as receive him, to them he gave the power to become the sons of God. The full quotation of Romans 10, 17, there's no distinction between Jew and Greek. In other words, between a Jewish person and a Gentile person. That's what they were at that time. There's no distinction, it says. For the same Lord is rich to all who call upon him, and therefore all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Jew, Gentile. Doesn't matter who you are. Doesn't matter what place you come from. If you're a Mormon or a Muslim, if you're a Baptist or you believe in Baha'i faith, you have to call upon the name of the Lord to be saved. And if you do, you are. If you will repent and you will return, he will receive. It's that simple. That's the gospel in a nutshell. God is very gracious. He's not willing that any should perish. He wants to give us a new name. He wants to give us a new vehicle to ride in all the way to heaven. One that is a renewed mind that has the right spirit inside of you. No longer a stone heart, but a fleshly heart that cries out for the things of God. If we'll repent and return, he'll receive. So simple. But God is holy. He has to deal with sin. He can't accept it. He's just. Therefore, the price has to be paid. So if you don't let Jesus pay the price for you, 
you have to pay it yourself. And the price for payment is going to cost you your eternity. You can't pay the debt. And so in the same way that Hosea is saying, look, I'll buy you back. It's not a good exchange. It wasn't a fair trade. Jesus' life for you, that's a bummer deal for God if you look at it in pure value. But from God's perspective, he says, I want them. And they're just like Gomer. Messed up, jacked up. So if you've been shooting up, you've been shacking up, you've been slipping up, if you just simply repent and return, God will have you. He wants you. He loves you. And he loves you to the fullest. And that's why when I look at this passage, that's why when John the Baptist said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world there in John chapter 1, the 29th verse, when he says that, what he's really saying is, Look, that's the buyback program right there. That's King Jesus saying, I want you. That's why Paul, as he would write to the church, speaking to the Jewish believers at the time, for I do not desire, brethren, in Romans chapter 11, or in verse 25, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own opinion, that blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. So that as it is written, one day all Israel will be saved. God wants everybody saved. If you're listening and you don't know him, he wants you. He'll buy you back from wherever you've been. That's why this is such a beautiful picture of God's love. And I pray you see it. I pray you walk in it. I pray you enjoy it. I pray that right now, wherever you are, that you're simply so graciously overwhelmed by God's plan for your life that you'll just receive the new model and drive it everywhere and let people know where you got it. It's like, man, the Lord gave me a, a trade-in, a buyback. He took my old life and gave me a brand new one. That's how much he loves you. Amen? Father, we thank you for your extravagant love. Lord, your incredible, absolutely glorious love for us. That you would take our beat up, road weary, old lives and in their place give us new life in Christ, an eternal model that will never fade that will one day be parked in a garage in heaven. Father, we thank you for that truth. And we pray, Lord, that you would speak into our lives your love. Help us to convince others that it's true, it's real. Would we share the gospel with those that we come in contact with? And Father, we thank you for loving us. May we love you back. May we never wander. Lord, we know that if we will repent, and return, you'll receive. And we thank you for that promise. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening, and we hope you were encouraged by today's message. If you have any questions or just want to check us out, make sure to visit us at ccsouthbay.org. God bless you guys, and we'll see you next week.